Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. This time, Sebring Edition. Oh, it's finally here after a long off-season. Finally get to see a brand new season of the World Endurance Championship. But, I mean, this is some random airfield in the middle of Florida. Why is it so important, Cookie? I, Chris, Chris, I'm waving my hands above my head. Can you see? You see, uh, I'm I am beyond excited. Let's go. It's a uh, it's it's super seeding time, uh, my friend. We're uh, we're we're basically less than uh, a week away from the start to the WC season, and um, a little over a week away from the second round of the NAC uh, championship for IMSA. And basically, one of the best doubleheaders you're going to find on the motorsport calendar at the same venue. Uh, it's another uh, super seeding edition. This has got to be what I think four. Uh, I believe so. Uh, this will be the third edition, I believe. If you want to technically count the first WC ever round as oh, a Super C ring, I guess that was. I, it's not technically Super C ring, so you're right. It's been three, but it's um, yeah. The ticket sales have been uh, have been incredible the last two years. Uh, you can attest to that uh, coming a couple of years ago. But uh, beyond that, uh, it's been nuts. I, I heard that they've been. Uh, I don't know if they're sold out, but the, the ticket sales have been. Uh, at levels that uh, apparently we haven't seen even from last year. So um, there's expected potential attendance to be record-breaking this year, and we'll we'll have to find out. And the weather seems to be good, too. So, but yeah. Yep, uh, no, yep. Yes, uh, but you asked why do they show up here? Because it's, uh, it's the, I mean, everybody says it's the most prestigious race, but I would say for sports cars in America, it's the most prestigious race. It's, it's the longest or like the oldest race, shall we say, for endurance racing. Um, that's kind of still around. Uh, it actually predates the 24 Hours of Daytona. And, yeah, the, the track is extremely unique. Um, it is really challenging and tricky. Uh, it still is a test for drivers, teams, and uh, the pit crews, and even fans <laughs> sometimes with how the heat is. Uh, it's, it's just it's such a crazy, unique track, um, and it's not necessarily the best at anything it almost even it's bad if, when it comes to bumps but that's the whole point you know you want um you do kind of as a as a racing fan you're used to smooth tracks and you know everything's flowing very nicely and then all of a sudden you, you come to sebring and it's just a rough uh x airfield surface that they're just shat, shattering their spines on as they're driving along and it's it's awesome so um i'm all for chaos and uh sebring kind of delivers it just by uh, in its core, so I'm looking forward to it a lot. I, I hope everybody else is. And we're, we are talking about uh, the, obviously WBC Sebring. This is a week before the green flag is going to fly. Uh, just uh, just uh, tomorrow and Sunday, uh, it's going to be the prologue, which is preseason testing, which we'll see the first time we'll see these beauties on track in full force. Uh, in the public eye in terms of at least lap times and all that sort of good stuff. Before we get to Sebring, before we get more into Sebring, Florida, we want to detail the Asian Le Mans series we, that happened in our hiatus, and the Le Mans invites were handed out from that championship. It was a very good championship, Cookie. I know before we were starting recording, you said you didn't have the time to watch this championship yet. Yes. I would... Uh, it was very good racing. Uh, the commentary was obviously golden. There was Graham Goodwin and Oliver Gavin in the booth. Great chemistry. A very great chemistry and improvement on last year. So nice to see that. 
And and the, and the good news is, if you don't have time to watch all four hours of the race, they're starting to upload the hour highlight shows. So there's a little, little expedited option if you don't have as much time as one would like. Uh, so Lamont invites. So basically, from what I remember, one in each class got a Lamont invite. So basically, winning their championship, and it was a it was an awesome championship in at least in the LMP2 category. Uh, LMP3 and GT and GT, they they kind of had uh, they weren't they weren't as tight as one would like. Anyway, uh, are you familiar with the team DKR Engineering Cookie? Yes. Well, they did it for Dale since the number three DKR Engineering uh, Orica 07 won the championship to get themselves a Lamont invite. In the LMP2 class, in that Nemo livery, which was uh, obviously DKR is relatively new in LMP2s. They were racing that Norma LMP3. That's when I first started hearing from them. But obviously, apparently, they had a much longer history than that in, in terms of FIA GT. So glad they get the nod to be racing at Le Mans once again. Uh, they were pretty much battling with Cool Racing and Algarve Pro. And I guess uh, Inter Europol were kind of in that mix, but they had to win the race. Um, so it was a shame to see the inter-Europol car kind of, because they're looking like they might have a shot to win at the last race. Then they had uh, some car failures, but uh, they did win the second race at Dubai, so not all is lost for the Bakers. And I was in the, and it was just great, uh, great competition, LMP2 overall, compared to what we've been seeing the past couple of years. That was a nice change of pace. LMP3, uh, Graf uh, wins the chance. Actually, I, I refrained from what I said from LMP3 not being that tight. Uh, Graf Racing won the championship from a tiebreaker. Uh, the other team being MV2S Racing, who was mainly known for racing in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, or if you're really obscure like me, the Midjet Championship. <laughs> um <laughs> So they they are tied on points in Abu Dhabi. You know the history awaits. Memes write themselves. Uh, so Graf <laughs> Racing gets the Lamont invite from there, and obviously if they do it in LMP3, they get the invite for LMP2. GT uh, stacked GT grid. Obviously, unfortunately, Dubai claimed a hefty amount of victims. Uh, one notably, the dynamic GT car, that bright green livery Porsche who crashed right in the opening laps of qualifying and basically just ended their season right there. It's a very hard hit. Um, it's probably on YouTube if you haven't seen their rate. The drivers is okay, but that was the first casualty of the season. And then the 61 TF Sport Car, which is the, the basically the, it was livery to look like a pair of jeans, um, that has had problems. All basically did not start the first race as well. And then Viper Nisa... Uh, who was a Malaysian team, who also had an Aston Martin. Uh, they crashed heavily in the second race at Dubai. Uh, I, I believe it was the 61, or no, it's the 60 Formula Racing car uh, that was uh, involved with, uh, unfortunately, assisting uh, the retirement of that car. And then uh, the Kessel Racing and Orange Racing cars just had problems straight after Dubai and just elected to not start the rest of the season. On the other end of the table, 
Valkenhorst, which if you know the Turner GTD Pro livery from the Rolex 24, it was the exact same livery, just under the Valkenhorst banner. Uh, they swept the opening races of the season, and then obviously they paced it at Abu Dhabi to make sure they won the championship. So Valkenhorst, people, I don't know if you were, if you were hearing about this cookie, but people were hyping it up that maybe because Valkenhorst is a BMW team, Maybe they would use the BMW M8. Yeah, yeah. We, I was part of it, but yeah, no, they yeah. didn't. Yeah. So basically, That's instead of the M8, uh, I believe that they elected to, to choose the 488 GTE, which it's it's a good car, and obviously, I think the M8 was nothing more than just a pipe dream. But man, it would have been cool to see that car back in the. In, in uh, racing trim. Yeah, I mean, if not, if, if anything, just for the extra beams that would be done with that livery, just just updated, you know? It's been a while since we've seen those, and, man, I, I was ready to do some Photoshopping, that's for sure. But, yeah, that was, that's a quick Asian Le Mans Series rundown. Obviously, we had four races within two weeks. If you haven't watched the races, I would definitely recommend you go do them. Um, obviously, uh, they are posting the uh, hour highlight shows. If so, if you don't have the time for a full four race, they do have those uh, expedited options for you. Now that we got some business taken care of, we we have the prologue just starting tomorrow. Cookie, is there anything you're expecting from the prologue, or are you kind of just waiting to see what the qualifying times say on Thursday? Um, yeah, only expectations. I mean, you, you pretty much got it right. The only expectations are, um, would to, right, not expectations, but what to look for for me would be, um, reliability problems. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I guess V like teams that should be coming out, um, obviously like uh, Van Wall and Ferrari who haven't had any, um, actual race experience yet with their cars, uh, Versus the other OEMs that even though they might be starting, you know, brand new Cadillac and uh, Porsche, they've already had a race under the belt. So, you know, I'm just looking to see at least with those two to make sure that they're logging laps, that they're kind of doing the same thing everybody else is doing and they're not stuck in the in the garage lot, um, you know, working on this or that problem here or there. So at least for the prologue, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking to see reasonable pace within like two seconds of the, the, the top time. And that doesn't, you know, anybody that's like two seconds off, I'm not worried about too much because it's just, you know, it's prologue stuff. But if people are like, you know, 10, 15 seconds off and they just can't get a, a decent flying lap down or at least try to get something down, then that would worry me. But um, I don't know. From the, from the feel of it, I feel like everybody's going to show a decent prologue, but... Um, but will the pace actually increase to what, what it's needed to win next Friday? We'll see. Um, like, we'll see if that van wall doesn't catch on fire somehow. And uh, we'll see if the Ferraris don't break like their F1 brethren have already started doing in this first season. Spoilers. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. And then just, uh, yeah, just to see how... Uh, crazy tight the the GTM field is going to be this year. Um, you know that might be even shared idea or even say that that might even be more uh, close fought than the LMP2 battles. Like it, it's the 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 entire grid is going to be uh, like worthy of a conversation about 
um, epic, you know, good battles all year long, I feel like. It's just, uh, this is a good-looking grid. And, obviously, it's a little bit of a cheating, because we only have three classes instead of four, if you kind of out of the loop the GTE Pro class has been discontinued because of lack of factory interest. They all focused our factory efforts into the hypercar class. So GTE Pro, uh, GTE AM will be here for 2023 until they make that full uh, transition to GT3 in 2024. And speaking on that, and before we because I have a point to make about the hypercars, I just want to point out a little fact. It is confirmed that if you are not a follower of GT3 racing, you might have to change your mind. Because um, GT World Challenge Europe, whoever wins the bronze class in that championship, with this combined sprint and endurance, will receive a Le Mans invitation for 2024. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, again, makes sense because of how the transition is working with GT3 fields. Um, you So this was kind of a long time coming. But, um, yeah, it... It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me at all that we're starting to see this come down. I, my my question is how how many series get this treatment? You know, especially on the GT three non ACO series side. There were plans. I know there are plans for for this year that the Asian Le Mans GT category and GT World Challenge Asia, it was going to be a combined GT championship. I, from what I've gathered, it was basically whoever. If you competed, then uh, it was it could be a combination of both championships. So obviously, you had if you wanted to receive the invitation, you would have to compete in both. Um, but that was delayed. But yeah, so basically, it's just, it's the combined championship. I'm just going to list some teams here that might be in the mix for the bronze. Uh, CLRT, which is a French Porsche team. Uh, AF Corsa, uh, Dynamic GT Racing. Um, Tresser uh, Attempto Racing, Haupt Racing Team, FIBA Motorsport, which if, do, if you don't know about FIBA Motorsport, it's basically created from, I believe, the first ever woman from Saudi Arabia to race, or, or race at this uh, high of level. And then you got Garage 59 and uh, Pure Racing. So some names have been around the GT3 uh, uh, stables for quite a while. Um, so that'd be nice to see them have a shot at a Lamar grid. Anyway, just a little bit of tidbit that was confirmed while we were away. My point about hypercar. Obviously, they're doing the testing this weekend. My interest is going to be on Peugeot because they haven't. Te- From what I've gathered, I, I don't remember if they did anything here or not. I don't think they tested here. Ferrari is tested here. Obviously, Toyota has racing experience here, although they had got. Not a brand new car, but they got changes to the car they had from last year. Porsche, Cadillac, uh, obviously did a bunch of testing here for IMSA sanctioned tests. Glickenhaus raced here last year. So the only people who haven't really had any track time was Peugeot and then the the, uh, the elephant in the room, Van Wall. I am interested because... We see that Port, uh, not Port Porsche, Peugeot last year raced on a part-time schedule from Monza onwards, and those just problems ever since. 
And we, we kind of knew this because it's obviously a new car. I didn't expect it to be perfect right out the gate. It was th- that probably what they preferred to have all these problems on their quote unquote testing year. However, if they didn't get any of those situations fixed from last season, Sebring will uh, expose them so hard at, at that at that regard because. If you if you didn't know you had a problem with your car, Sebring will find that find that out for you. So that's going to be interesting to see the the prologue reports and see just how many issues these cars have, um, at least in terms of Piper. Obviously, Oreco Sevens they've been here for years and years and years, not expecting anything major from them. And obviously, the GTE cars have you know raced there for years and years on end too. So the main interest is obviously going to be the hypercar class uh, in my opinion in terms of reliability and it's just the fact that it's so fresh right now you mean you bring up a good point and i think that is you know, they should be added to my my list uh, apparently which uh you know would include some of the guys that haven't been here before i mean even though ferrari's tested here uh it's still different than than race trim and i have to include peugeot in that too um i do think they have put in a lot of work, and uh, and I, I think the races that they have competed in and, and have had some failures in and whatnot, that's um, that's v- uh, vital experience that they needed in order to probably tackle Sebring in the best way they can. I mean, if they if they genuinely don't have any issues um, come next weekend, uh, that's a huge round of applause to that team and all the work that they've done, and it does mean that the the races and the failures that they had last year were vital in order for them not to have any issues you know, at Sebring this year for the round opener. So, um, I think I, now do I personally think that that's going to happen? I, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be a Persia with a problem, if not both of them with something going on, but we'll, we'll find out. I mean, and they, I'm sure that they've tried to work hard on reliability to try to fix the drive, whatever drivetrain issues that they're having. Um, if it's ICE related or something, I'm sure they've tried to fix it and work on it. So, you know, do I think that the same problems will come right back? Maybe, potentially, because, yeah, I agree. I don't think I've seen them test at Sebring, um, but we won't really know until tomorrow, Saturday, this weekend, I guess, weekend before uh, Super Sebring, to to see how they play this out. You know, are, are they putting the exact same laps that Toyota's in, in the same pace and whatnot, where they feel confident, just like these other teams do in their car, and is their car able to respond to that? Um, and I think some of the data will at the end of the prologue, give us a little bit more insight into kind of who's feeling comfortable in the teams and who isn't. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, Peugeot definitely could be, uh, you know, shaking their heads walking away from Super Sebring, absolutely, if, um, you know, if a lot of these off-season upgrades and whatnot don't pan out. And, you know, how how much does the Ferrari testing at Sebring help them versus, you know, Peugeot not testing at Sebring but being in races last year, so... That's a good point. And uh, as we are speaking, we understand that the BOP tables have been have been released. Um, I'm, I don't think me and Cookie are going to be here trying to sound smarter than we actually are and try to explain the changes and what they mean. <laughs> you can have a take a look at the BOP tables itself. It's actually on the subreddit. Someone, I believe, B, uh, B, user BCN made a handy chart. They usually does whenever BOP tables get released. Um, so you can take a look at that 
and make up your own conclusions. The only thing we can probably really say is Van Wall and Glickenhaus might be at a little disadvantage because of the non-hybrids. But obviously this is just hashtag wait and see territory, at least to me. Ignorance is bliss to me in, this, in these sort of situations of I don't know, micromanaging the what numbers on a screen and ruining my enjoyment of a race before the green flag even falls. That's just, that's just my take on it. Hey, that's, but, it, you know, what is sports car <laughs> racing fandom or, or geek nerdom without doing that several times before the race weekend, right? Right. And I do have to say, uh, obviously we are recording on a Friday, March 10th. So exactly a week before the Sebring 1000 that'll be uh the race will take place march 17th friday on noon local times so that's noon eastern if you're in the states and then that's probably around what seven o'clock p.m uh european time somewhere around there yeah, I th- yeah I- six or seven <clears throat> european time and then australian you're gonna be asleep um <laughs> <laughs> Or work on the night shift, something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a day race. Is, uh, I was going to say the great news about this is that since it's a Friday Saturday weekend, we don't have we don't have to deal with that pesky North American time change into our conversions. Nope, nope. That that'll come Sunday. Uh, I, do we have an F one race this Sunday? Uh, we do have the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix on Super Sebring weekend. Sorry, yeah, not this Sunday, but Super Sebring Sunday. Gotcha. Okay. And this is where this is where again, this is where I feel like like modern. I don't want to. It's so it's so weird for me to say modern F one or Morrisworth fans, but in the in the in the before times when you know the Liberty Media didn't own F one and they did like the Eurocentric kind of time zones when they would start the races. You know, there would have there'd be like a Malaysian or Australian Grand Prix at like two in the morning, one in the morning, or something like that, and uh, and it would always seem to be around the twelve hours of Sebring. So Sebring would end, and then you'd wait a couple hours, you know, pick up your campsite a little bit, you know, pour a couple extra drinks, and then put the TV or projector on and watch uh, the opening round or second round of the F one uh, season. But darn, we now America's included all the time in in all these races so now they start at like 9 or 10 a.m all the time if you're on the east coast like i am so you know we don't we don't get that post uh 12 hours of sebring uh, extra race although sometimes we get v8 supercars now so that's not bad either there you go that the v8 supercars is happening as we speak i believe they're qualifying right now so you don't even get to have that next weekend Ugh. everything is oh everything's so catered to I don't, now i don't even i think that might ruin sebring for me i don't even know if i should go this time <laughs> I, I, uh, I can't believe everything's being catered to america i can't believe i know it. i know i i wish it was before times where <laughs> where you would have to get up at I think it was genuinely 3 a.m. to watch the Malaysian Grand Prix, which uh, it was typically my one of my favorite Grand Prix of the year. But I, I you know, there, there's there's something to be said for deliriousness at 3:30, 4 o'clock in the morning, trying to stay awake, watching F1 like high pitched F1 cars go around a track, like it it it's surreal, and I just feel like the the 
this generation has lost out on that kind of unique value that you get from such late races. And, and just one more tidbit before we dive deeper into the WC entry list. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix, I want to say the uh, there's an event that's happening also uh, that you ac actually you might be able to uh, turn this on after the checkered flag falls for the 12 hour. Uh, the, the Sepang 12 hour is back after a long hiatus. So, uh, if you didn't know about the Sepang 12 hour, it actually used to be part of the SRO's Intercontinental GT Challenge that was ran usually in mid-December which always resulted in a, in a, in a uh, monsoon hitting the track and causing red flags for several hours. But it's back. Uh, several teams have been announced. Craft Bamboo, Fish Team, AAI, Medina Motorsports, uh, Viper Nisa Racing. So a couple of teams have already been announced. I don't know how big the grid for that will be. Apparently there will be a live stream that will be embedded on the Daily Sports Car website. Uh, I believe it's going to take place Sunday. Malaysia time. I have to double check on that. It's either Sunday or Saturday, Malaysia time. So, worst comes to worst, you might have something to throw on on the big screen at the campsite, you know, either after one, the uh, WBC or, 12, or IMSA race. Appreciate that, Chris. Thank you. There you go. So, now that we got our tidbits out of the way, obviously Hypercar, the most talked about class. People have been hyping this up to death. We're not going to go as deep into that since the information people already know or the information's pretty much right at the fingertips. I want to talk about something that's caught my eye in LMP2. Obviously, we have Prima Racing, who's been in the LMP2 game for the past couple of years. They're going to be with Lamborghini next year with partnership with Iron Lynx for the LMDH. Take a look at who's in the nine car. Andrea Calderelli. And then take a look at who's in the 63. Which the 63 is probably, you know, the more hyped of the lineups. Yeah, Dorian Pin, yeah. who was with the Iron Dames last year in their Ferrari, won the 24 hours of spa in gold class, I believe, and then won four hours of Portimao in GTE. Mirko Bertolotti, Lamborghini driver, normally seen with Grasser, but now uh, with Prima. And then the uh, little, little, little NASCAR driver named Daniel Kvyat. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good lineup, man. I mean, like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's almost hard for me to say that the GT Anfield has, has potentially a better, a better show to produce with this than the LMP2 one because... Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Bordelotti with Kafiat, and then, I mean, exactly with uh, Calderelli uh, in the nine. I mean, we're not even talking about any of the United Autosports guys. Granted, it's, I don't know, would you would you say any of the UA guys have a shot this year? Uh, if anything, it would have been, if any UA cars have a chance, I think it's going to be the 23. Yeah. I'm looking at 23 lineup now with Bloomquist, who's just torching it in prototypes, and Jarvis, who is also stellar uh, with Pearson. So yeah, okay. But beyond that, I mean, it's it's these are really good, and then obviously Alpine, um, the Elf team coming back, quote you know, quote unquote, to LMP2 for this year with their LMDH supposedly still on the way for 2024, um, and both of those lineups too. But yeah, this is, I mean. 
we could take a pick at any of these cars and go through a lineup and make a decent uh, uh, case for any of them really finishing at the front of the field. And Mostly. this is um, not confirmed reports, but very heavy rumors reporting that, that this could be the last ever season in the WEC for the LMP2 class. They would still race Le Mans before anybody you know, gets words twisted. LMP2s will still race Le Mans. It just won't be in the regular WEC season. And judging from, if you could just use some detective skills here, it's probably not that hard to see why. Prima, going to be with Lamborghini next year. Vector Sport, they're running the Asada Franchiti program, however they pronounce that. Um, Dota, obviously Porsche, Mm -hmm. LMDH. And and, and we can see the 48 Hertz Team Dota, that's the hypercar squad, you know, racing LMP2 in the meantime, before, until they get that customer car. All set up and ready. Alpine, going to have an LMB, LMDH next year. WRT, racing the BMW, BMW next yeah. year. And who, 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 who does that leave you? That leaves you with United Autosport and inter Europol. That's two teams. Mm-hmm. So unless you get some of the teams that come up from European Le Mans series, it's just not sustainable. So that's that's the reason why they're most likely not going to be an LMP2 class next year in the WBC. There's going to be hypercar and GT3. Um, but who knows? Maybe 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 LMP2 will still stay. Well, not confirmed yet. But I mean, judging from what I'm seeing, I I could see it as a very logical choice. Anyway, that was that's LMP2. Obviously, we see some great uh, teams in there like WRT. Uh, they kind of got. Um, John Glale, Ferdinand Hansberg, Robin Fryan. Actually, Robin Fryan's might not be final. If I remember correctly, he was injured. Had maybe a wrist injury? Something to do with the injury at the one of the first Formula E races. So he might still need to be replaced. And that might not be final on the end. There'll be a wait-and-see situation. I don't know if someone has been confirmed for him already. And then... uh, Something that caught my eye from Alpine Memo Rojas, which if any any of you have been around in the Grand Am era, who you know who Memo Rojas is, was a tr- tried and true partner with Scott Pruitt in the Ganassi days. Uh, and then you got United Auto Sports, like we said. Let's talk about uh, the 22, the other one, Frederick Lubin. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember him for much. Philip Hansen, Felipe Albuquerque. That's still a good lineup, but I don't think it's as strong as the 23 in the Vector Sport. Ryan Cullen, which I believe he's kind of like the guy who runs the car, who owns the car. Matthias Kaiser, he is a, he's a decent driver. I believe he comes from the Cool Racing Squad in LMS. And then Gabriel Aubrey, who's been in the LMP2 game for a while. So that's LMP2. Let's talk about something different than prototypes we got some gts here that's just begging for our attention cookie which one has uh, which one of these gte cars on this grid catches your eye the most which one intrigues you uh i mean i I, as an american homer i want to say the 33 um (laughs) just because i love my boy uh betty keating in that but 
Um, let's see. I don't, I don't know if anything's sticking out too much. Um, maybe the 56? That one's pretty good. Um, let's see. Who else? The 77, that looks pretty good. This is a test. <laughs> the, the, you are being quizzed at the end of this. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, hmm. hmm. Anyone else I'm seeing? Uh, no, I think... Well, uh, hold on. Uh, the 7... No, I don't want to... I, I want to say one of the Astons. Probably in the 98, but I don't know who the uh, third driver is for that. Uh, the rumor is Axel Jeffries will be the third driver. Oh, for the yeah. Car, the Zimbabwean driver. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I did see him for a seat fitting in Sebring earlier today. or uh, Somebody tweeted it or something. So, hmm. Uh, I don't know. It lo looks like the Porsches, at first glance to me, have pretty good lineups. Well, what do you say? Who? What did I miss? I am personally interested in. Oh, this is this is kind of. I I think it's gonna be Kessel, because Takeshi Kimura is the bronze for that team, who runs the, uh, basically the car guy operations in Japan, and that Kessel Racing car that's gonna be the delivery of the car. Car it's gonna be the car guy yellow. Um, he's not half bad, and then you got. Scott Huffaker, who raced the LMP2 for PR1 Mathiasen, who uh, with Keating, and just dominated that class in IMSA. They got Daniel Serra, who's good in his own right. And then it's 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 hard because with with GTM, there needs to be a bronze in the car, and like for many of these, no, not trying to disrespect the the person footing the bill for the drive. Like, you could say, apart from the bronze, these guys would be an easy shot for the win. That's why. I, but the Corvette, I mean, you got Ben Keating, who I will say this right now. Well, maybe Ahmed Aharthi is probably up there as well. He's not that bad. Ben Keating is probably one of the best bronzes in this field. And then take a look at Nicholas Veroni. Or Verone. I apologize if I butchered that name. It is Argentinian. He had a, a, pr a very impressive drive last year. Uh, basically, he held off. Can't remember who it was. Was it uh, Michael Christensen or was it another? Uh, it was a German Porsche driver, but factory driver in the four hours of Lake Castellet, and held them off for the win. So Verona is a very impressive driver in his own right. And they got Nicky Katzberg, which that's who doesn't need any introduction at all. So I think out of all of these drivers, all of these teams, it's basically a factory team disguised as an AM entry. Uh, Corvette Racing has cut my eye for this class. <laughs> I mean, ben, if Ben Keating's in there, you got uh, some star power right there. I don't care. I don't even care who the pro is on that, and even then, it's Nikki Katzberg. So it's a it's a good looking lineup, man. 
It should be able to do some damage. And if you if that wasn't IMSA enough for you, take a look at the not eighty eight proton car. That's if you know the blue, the light blue right motorsport liveries in IMSA. This car is going to be basically like that because of Ryan Hardwick in the car, who's going to be basically, I believe he's racing all of the WEC races for uh, up to Le Mans for the, you know, the prep for his Le Mans drive. Because obviously, uh, well, he won the invite for being the best bronze GT driver last year. Awesome. That was a great livery, too. So excited to see that in the WEC competition. Now, before we kind of lean towards the IMSA side of things, I do want to point out uh, about the BOP that, that really got everybody's attention. They did BOP for Sebring, but they did something that I don't think they ever did before. They released BOP for the next three rounds after that. Um, and basically, there's BOP for Sebring. Then there's a separate BOP table for Portimao, Spa, and Le Mans. So the next three races, as of right now, have the same BOP. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out because basically the theory behind it is that they do it this way, they'll be less likely to for teams to sandbag up until Le Mans to get that BOP break. I'm interested to see if that theory comes true. What are your opinions on this? Do you think that it will effectively stop, maybe not stop, but hamper the sandbagging down a bit and people will uh, not, you know, basically let off throttle until Le Mans? I think it's got a better chance to work. I think it's still going to be hit or miss a little bit when it comes to it Um, because some of it is just going to be honest mistakes and uh, and it's just going to be hard to kind of police uh, things like some of this BOP without uh, like you have to build credibility for it first and I think right now it's I don't want to say BOP it's not at an all time low um, but it's definitely not necessarily like completely trustworthy where it's you know people are are accepting of it 100% um so I do feel like there's going to be backlash to this. Like it's it's you know where we're going to get the. I think that this BOP set is not going to take any of the actual legitimate problems that some of these teams are having or manufacturers are having with cars, and that's going to be the running argument. I don't agree with that. I think um, I think this is like I. I think I'm most impressed by the fact that they're at, at least still trying to do stuff to mitigate sandbagging or at least try to uh, invoke the teams to kind of, sh- you know, like there is no incentive for you not to, to just put down normal lap times. Don't try to do anything silly. Don't try to do anything stupid. And I think this is they're trying to remove bias as much as they possibly can. And doing these projections for a lot of this stuff is trying to also cut off the ability for people to, you know, I, I guess try to harp on that point that they're being biased and not really allowing teams, you know, some teams the opportunity to improve while others do get opportunities with some cars and whatnot where they're basically just going, look, for whatever happens, this is this is the data we're using and this is how we have interpreted the data for these these tracks this is how we we're doing it 
and then we're going to reassess it. I, I think this should kind of be the way to go instead of potentially doing um, random BOP updates or, you, you know, at will updates uh, because it, it also will kind of give an officiality to, you know, not necessarily we're like, okay, you just got to trick BOP so that you get the next four races where you're really, really fast, but um, where at least when you're looking ahead and trying to see and interpret, okay, well, you know, the racing that we're going to see now, is that going to be the same in a couple months? Well, the the goal is this. And I, I think, too, this allows IMSA, or excuse me, WC to collect more data um, on some of these teams and cars just to see how they do react to different tracks with the exact same readouts and the exact same um uh you know reference data that they're that they're doing from different tracks i think it's a good idea i don't know if it's going to be very successful and i'm definitely sure it's going to get some backlash but i do think this is a step in the right direction because any step in any direction at this point when it comes to bop to try to iron out issues with its known flaws is much much needed and i'm glad that they're at least trying to do something like this to stave off any issues that come about because of BLP. So that's it. That's what I got to say about that. And I believe uh, the BLP tables, they are subject to change. So we'll have to see uh, after Sebring if any changes are made to those BOP tables based on what we see at Sebring. I imagine there'll be some changes, um, but at least we have a nice baseline on what to, at least what to expect uh, for the next few months in terms of hypercar. I mean, they're, they're, but they're also letting us know what they also, you know, right. it, there's some part of it too where they're like, okay, well, we also know what we should be expecting from this too. And I think that that's better because if, you know, it, it, as a fan, it, it makes me feel a little bit more secure knowing that like they understand, they at least have an idea of what it should be looking like. And if they're very far off, then at least we get to hear about it instead of it going, you know, we suspect there's something wrong, but we have no idea if, you know, if WC or ACO or FI themselves know that there's something amiss. Well, you know, we're we're being broadcast this information before it happens kind of thing. And so that's what I appreciate about it. So that, that's WEC. Uh, that's going to be noon Eastern time, March 17th on a Friday for green flag start time for that. Streaming that WEC is rolling out looks like a, an update to their streaming platform. Thank God. Um, so uh, I still unavailable for the United States and Canada. Motor Trend has the uh, has us by the balls for the streaming rights. Mm-hmm. So, so if you live in North America, it's going to be Motor Trend Plus. That's important distinction. We use Motor Trend Plus. That's where you get the commercial free world feed. Uh, obviously, don't rely on TV because all you're going to do is just be frustrated and mad. So just you get the streaming service, they'll be better off for it. Um, WC streaming service, 40 euros for the entire season, 7 euros a race, except for Le Mans, and 13 euros for Le Mans if you choose it to do by a race-by-race basis. Anyway, IMSA's also racing. How can we forget about IMSA? Oh Especially after the, uh, after the week it just had. Yeah. You, do you, you want to bring them up to date here, Chris, or do you want me to? <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll get our viewers up to date. Michael Shank should be fucking shot. 
<laughs> All right, comrade. <laughs> Drag, drug out to the street. Reference to a very famous viral video pertaining to the 2006 fall Talladega race. Please watch it. It's very entertaining. Um, basically, the gist is Meyer Shank Racing was found fiddled with uh, data in which about the tire pressure where basically the data were saying it was at the legal limit minimum tire pressure but in reality it was not it was lower than that so that's and they they got docked what all points bar 185 for the regular season they got docked all the points from the MEC their main engineer or something along the lines of that was basically ejected, fired Ryan, from the team. Ryan McCarthy. Right, yep. And then uh, Michael Shake himself is on probationary period until, what, late June? Basically, they got the book thrown at them except disqualifying them. Which is a little odd. I don't know. And the thing is, people can't even say it's a NASCAR thing anymore. Because NASCAR takes away wins. Like, they, they take away the wins now as well. Yeah. Like, yep. it's owned by... People, oh, it's owned by NASCAR. NASCAR takes away wins, too. Hell, last year, they took away first and second place away from from teams. Uh, in a race once. I, I, I it, it, It's frustrating. Obviously, people have, you know, no, it's say there's the American mindset where, well... The fans deserve to see the the winner, you know, when they leave the track. That sort of mindset. I personally don't mind that if the if the car cheated and was found out, you know, in this case, what months after, month and a half after. Like I'm fine if with being having the win tossed and and it would have been the beneficiary would have been Wayne Taylor at this rate. But yeah, it, it is frustrating to know the car deliberately cheated went about went um, over the rules and yeah they got penalized but who, who let's say 20 years from now in the record books it's still going to show that they won the Rolex 24 with an, well with an asterisk but they still get to keep the the, the the win they still get to keep the trophy yeah I've been I've been bouncing back and forth you know I kind of been thinking of topics to talk about uh, for this for this recording, and this was definitely on the top. And I was trying to, I was going back and forth when I was trying to think about how I wanted to phrase some of this stuff because, yeah, it's it like on the one hand, I I I, I almost understand where IMSA is is trying to come with this, and to to their end, I think they are trying not to step too hard on somebody who's I, I guess already down but at the same time I feel like a lot of this stuff you, you have to set a precedent for some of these things and I, I'm not I'm not calling for race bans but I think especially for the most you know, it's one of the most prestigious events in North America especially for sports car racing and globally too it's picking up a lot of stature and it's picking up a lot of momentum um, it, it it does feel weird to see them still be crowned the victors because 
I think you could I think it was so visually noticeable to fans that that car just it, it, people said that that car was on another level. I said that at the at the event because it just it could hook up so quickly out of the corners. Now, granted, um, I, I think it was Bloomquist set like eight out of the what was it? Some some redditor commented it's like eight out of the eleven fast laps, fastest laps of the Rolex Twenty Four. Probably cherry pick stat, but whatever. Where it was set by the sixty, and it was set by like Bloomquist or something like that, and. So clearly he's fast, but at the same time it's just and like that car's fast. But you know if it depends on how significant the tire pressures were reduced by. But if if it's going under minimums, I mean, how much is going under the minimum? You know, did they, you know, did they, you know, how much bar did they go under the minimum requirement? And I just feel like it's it's it is weird to 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 sit here and talk about how they won the race, but that they got. Like, because they still got points, right? Because, like, wasn't the maximum amount of points like in the 300 something that you could get? So they got docked like 200 points. So they still got some points out of the race, which is weird to me. And, you know, like, it, it just feels like IMSA, IMSA has accepted Meyershank and, you know, Acura's ruling of this being specifically one dude doing all this stuff by himself without any, and no one else had any knowledge of it. I, again, I'm fine to agree with that too, but I just, it's just so hard for me to just sit here and go, oh, yeah, I think it was just one guy. <clears throat> and not necessarily, like, the whole team was in on it, but just the fact that, like, no, like nobody caught it either until IMSA caught it kind of thing is... Or, uh, sorry, not until IMSA caught it, until HPD caught it and then brought it to the attention of Shank Racing and then brought it to the attention, you know. So it was, like, good on HPD for standing up for themselves. And, yeah, like, they don't want their their product getting tainted and whatnot. And I'm assuming part of the Simpson thing is, is this weird relationship with their OEM manufacturer that basically just won the first GTP race. And now they're self-reporting that one of their teams who won the race cheated. So I, I get the awkwardness, but I still feel like you got to do something more than what they did. You can't let that win stand like that's got to go to WTR. One, I don't, I'm not going to even say it. it's not an argument, but one person did brought up um, saying that maybe IMSA didn't do anything because the results were official. They they were already official, you know, and that's I guess that's still kind of a hard pill to swallow, even though knowing that if you cheated and don't find out until you know they make the results official, you know nothing's going to be done to you. I. I think they should probably maybe work some things around if, they, if that's how the way they run. I think there should be exceptions to that case, in my opinion. Anyway, that's basically all there is to the story right now. No, I mean, people are probably going to be moaning and groaning about this. I mean, I don't see why they shouldn't. It does kind of suck, but uh, I'm not going to let my I'm not going to let ruin my enjoyment of the racing. That's up and coming for the 12 hours, which we got an entry list that just came out a couple days ago. We got 54 cars on the docket. That's judging by my math here. Seven left in Daytona, which was obviously a capacity grid. So still a very, very, very good grid. Uh, GTP, kind of the same. 
Uh, we got eight entries, uh, except we're missing the WEC Cadillac entry, the blue car, which will be racing in the 1,000 miles. Uh, two Penske, two Porsche Penskes, two Acuras with Meyer Shake and uh, Wayne Taylor, the two BMWs, and then the Willen Engineering Cadillac. I'm interested to see. I think I'm going to wager and talk about, you know, make this, um, you know, basically what I'm going to say is I'm going to speak for the room here and say everyone's interested to see how much BMW is going to improve. Sure. Yeah, that that was what I, well, that's what I was thinking too. I really want to see how much BMW, well, I do, but I mean, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I honestly, I mean, I, I'm interested in seeing how the Cadillacs uh, do, if they have what I feel to be still the superior pace that they had in the uh, DPI era, um, when it comes to not Daytona and long tracks and, and that kind of stuff. I'm I'm interested to see if Acuras still can maintain a pace, knowing that one of the Acuras was a little too fast than what we should have been seeing. Um, but granted. If they would have been running right around WTR pace, they would have been right there with them to potentially grab the win or finish second. So, um, you know, so we're still talking potentially still with an accurate one, too, albeit a lot closer. Um, however, you know, just to see how they, they do and process kind of this whole bad press thing, too, they could really rebound from that as well. So. Honestly, though, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I am way more excited about the, the uh, LMH category in WC than I am with this. There's so many better storylines to be talking about in WC's uh, LMH, LMDH lineup. In my honest opinion. This, to me, honestly, and again, like this is this is just me being stupid, uh, but I've seen all these cars already, outside of the Porsches. So, like, the Cadillac racing is still, you know, it's Cadillac. Those cars are cool. Uh, BMW is kind of new, so I definitely kind of want to see them. But otherwise, it's like the 60. I can't root. Uh, you know, I can't. I can't. I can't support them right now. They cheated. So, and then you know, Wayne Taylor Racing. They've won everything, but it'd be cool to see them win again. So, uh, the storylines for me are all in WC right now. So you got to get me amped up right now for GTP. Oh, it's the second. It's the second race. Cadillac versus Acura could be a great battle. Uh, BMW, obviously, it's kind of like uh, it's going to sound so harsh. It's basically the car you cheer for after they crash lap one of the endurance race. You just you just want to see how far they make it up the timing. Yep. It, that's what BMW is right now, um, to me. And Porsche are going to uh, have was, more reliability problems. And... Right. And the Porsche, Por Porsche wasn't they weren't too far off at Daytona like they were like on on the best of times they were in the mix maybe, maybe not for the win but they were up there battling for positions up on, on the taller end of the order so I, I I'm hopeful that we'll, we we will see a three pronged battle between Porsche Cadillac and Acura I don't think BMW is going to be there yet that'd be a nice surprise if it was but I do think if I had to make a conservative guess, it would be Cadillac versus Acura uh, for the win. It'd be interesting how Sebring hand because if Daytona didn't uh, show any, obviously we had reliability issues for BMW and Porsche, Cadillac and Acura they had 
something's beginning to go wrong because I think Meyer Shank had like the oil mm-hmm. seal leak or something along the lines of that. Sebring is, is going to make sure that those problems come to light. So that, that, that'll be another interesting twist in the story of GTP for 2023. Uh, LMP2, eight cars in this class. Um, Tower Motorsports, the, we get half of the Bus Bros lineup. We got Scott McLaughlin racing in that car with Kiffin Simpson and John Ferrano. Uh, CrowdStrike Racing's back. TDS, Era, High Class, Rick Ware, P1 Thyssen. Uh, LMP2 provided us with an excellent finish at Daytona. Although I believe... If I'm correct in thinking, both cars that were in that uh, race are not in this race. So I believe AF Corsa and uh, Proton Competition... Are fighting for the win at Daytona. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- none of them are, are here in the LMP2 class. So we could see a new winner for the 2023 season. Judging from this LMP2 lineup, which one do you think has the best shot? Me personally, I, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, the 52. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the 52. Um,. Yeah, I mean the eight's got uh, a little. You kind of make an argument there, um, but yeah, if I just really looking at this again, maybe the thirty-five. But I, I would say the nods to fifty-two. Because uh, I mean LMP two, we already kind of discussed LMP two during Daytona. Nothing really changed in the lineups. Uh, for LMP2. So we're going to go into LMP3. Ave Motorsports makes its IMSA LMP3 debut. That's going to be a new team. Uh, Seth Lucas, who is under 30, and Trenton Estep in that car racing with uh, the uh, bronze, the money man behind the team, Tonus Kazimitz. Uh If you haven't heard of Ave Motorsports, they are pro- predominantly in the Trans Am Championship. They're making quite a step up into the LMP3 world, although they believe they might have already had a program in Prototype Challenge in the past. Um, Junior 3 Racing makes a comeback. They were omitted from Daytona. They are here for Sebring. Uh, One of the notable names is Dakota Dickerson in that car. If you watch any of the IMSA supports over the last few years, that name would be recognizable to you. And then basically we kind of kept... Uh, what we had for Sebring, although MRS GT Racing, they have no drivers listed as of right now. I don't know if there's an updated entry list that we are have not been uh, sent. This has been released on March 8th. Today is the 10th. So possibly there are some maybe announcements that we haven't gotten a hold of yet. But anyway, LMP3 at Sebring, potentially the final year LMP3 being in the 12-hour. Any any predictions on how this class is going to go down? <clears throat> not at all. Not at all. There's definitely going to be some... Um, hopefully we won't see any of the real mechanical issues or anything like that. Um, but there's definitely going to be some contact. We'll see some cars um, hit, getting hit. Uh, I'll say I, I like the 36. Um, let's see... Kind of like the 74 too. 
Um, and then 33 is pretty good as well. So those are kind of the ones that I'm looking at just from the lineup. Obviously, I don't know the MRS lineup, but uh, um, those would be the ones that I'm, I'm looking for. And the winner of the Rolex 24 was the 17 AWA, uh, AWA car, who won by double-digit laps. A very impressive victory. There was a bad, there was battling for the LMP3 lead in the night portions. By believe it was um, Sean Creech Motorsport who was in the battle and they had problems in pit lane and just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. That led to that big gap at the end. So hopefully towards the end of, of the race here at Sebring, we'll see a much more competitive fight, and that'd be awesome to see. Um, what i like to see here, I believe, I think the 74 is going to have a very good chance. Uh, Josh Burden, he's not that bad. He's not the best. But, I mean, you got Gar Robinson and Felipe Fraga in that car, and, and it's Riley Motorsports. If, they, if anyone knows how to set up a, a, a car, it's going to be could be Bill Riley. So, 74, much success in this class. I think they'll continue that success coming into Sebring. Oh, also JTC Miller Motorsports. Uh, still waiting on their uh, <laughs> 963, but uh, yeah, still, yeah, still hanging out in LMP3 until then. GT Daytona Pro. Eight cars in this class. Turner Motorsport is still in the class with that Macintosh uh, blue livery. Bill Oberlin, Chandler Hull, John Edwards, they got WeatherTech Racing, Daniel Yokandela, Jules Gunan, and Mario Engel. Very notable because that's a, a WeatherTech racing car without Cooper McNeil. That's the, one of the first times we ever seen this, hasn't, haven't we? Yep, yep. And this was foretold, too. Um, the... Daytona 24 hour winner is not in the seat. Uh, he is not doing full time anymore. Focusing on the business side of things, but we're glad the entry is staying, which is that's a very, very awesome to see Cooper. Because we oftentimes when a gentleman driver is not racing, they when I say this, I don't try to mean this in a derogatory way, but basically take their toys out, of the, you know, out of the pram. And just you know, stop off and take their car with them. Yeah, um, they pull the ripcord. Right. Uh, so it's nice to see, even though he's not driving with the team, not getting the seat, he's still you know fielding a team in this championship. That's awesome to see. Iron Links in that green Lamborghini. Frank Pereira, Jordan Pepper, Roman Grosjean is back trying to re uh, get redemption in Florida after what happened last week. <laughs> um. Luckily, his uh, his arch nemesis Scott McLaughlin won't be racing the same class. I joke; they're for all good now. Um, so nothing, no need to worry about rivalry, uh, interclass little rivalry between the two two guys. Reese Capetizioni, Daniel Serra, David Ragon, Gabriel Casagrande. I would shed a light here on Gabriel Casagrande real quick. Stop! It basically, it came from exactly the place Daniel Serra did. Mm-hmm. So, ba- so basically, this is the stock car, Brazil car. I'm calling it. This is I'm, I'm trademarking it. No one else can do it. <laughs> I mean, if you just exclude the fact that the Vitor gun is there, I mean, no, we're golden. Yeah, Daniel, Sarah, 
and Gabriel Casagrande. That's, that's the, the stock car Brazil machine for Risi Competizione. Heart of Racing. Ross Gunn, Alex Roberts, and David Petard. Uh, they were, I can't remember where they exactly if they were at at Daytona. I don't remember them being too far off. Maybe, okay, they're, they're, they're relatively far off the deep end um, at Daytona. Can't remember what exactly happened with them, but their GTD counterparts did win that class. So obviously, the, it wasn't the BOP issue, like Porsche, which we'll get into a second. Master Sullivan Racing with Lexus, Jack Hawksworth, Ben Barcoat, Kyle, Kyle Kirkwood, Faf Motorsports, Klaus Spackler, Patrick Pile, Lawrence Mantor. Now, I, I, will, I, will, I will save the Corvette entry and then we'll talk about Porsche BOP. Uh, Antonio Garcia, Jordan Taylor, Tommy Miller uh, for the number three Corvette. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard Cookie, but obviously we had the issues with Daytona at por- uh, for Porsche. Yep. They have increased the restrictor size to 38 millimeter for the Sebring BOP, which from what I understand was the same as last year. Now, Apparently, comparing last year's car to this car's apples to oranges, from what I've heard. Um, because there are rumors, and potentially not even rumors anymore, more, uh, not, not like certified facts, but generally accepted truths that this year's Porsche is not exactly the best car made by them. Didn't I hear it had more power, too? Than, than needed or it had like uh, it just came out of the box with a little bit more power than it did last year too which is why they got a little bit more heavy handed with the BOP on it I also thought I saw that somewhere too but I could be wrong from this is from the This Week of Sports Cars podcast when they did the, the, the December BOP or not the BOP but the testing FAF and other Porsche teams we're like we're not we're not joking the system here. This is how slow we actually are. Like we are pushing it to the limits, and it was just the case of poor, of IMSA being like, "Eh, you're gaming the system." I think at this point of time, I think that the answer is clear that Porsche was not gaming the system. At least in my opinion, I I just think the cars are actually that slow <laughs> so they bumped up uh i understand imsa's caution with this because new car you don't know don't have much data and hasn't been and usually with gt3 in the past you know it was all sro's dealing they had their march bop test like that's that's their thing but now with imsa allowing newly homologated cars before they're homologated for sro competition that's normally how they get the proper bop balanced it's very tricky. So what they did, they probably took last year's car into account and just based it off that. But this car apparently is a, in, an inferior product from what we've been hearing. I don't know. Any, any opinion on that, Cookie? Do you think that that, that, that played a factor at all? I mean, it definitely could have. I think it, we're, too, we're too early on still to know for sure what, what went down um, with that whole deal yet. Uh, I, I think the adjustment 
is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, I don't know um, what specifically on each party did to facilitate the movement on that because it seemed like IMSO was pretty steadfast that they were that they had accurate information and that's what they were going off of. Um, but I like I, I don't feel like we're done with this um, and. I'm going to wait for more intelligent heads to to give us more information, I think, before I start picking sides. Because it's just, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I, I definitely see Porsche's case. I see Imps's case. Um, I, I'm going back and forth on the, well, that's just how it goes. Uh, especially with Porsche usually not showing up with, with dogs. Um, they're usually pretty pretty quick out the out the box Porsches. Um, they might need some tinkering here or there, but they're usually just not completely off setup wise like they were clearly at Daytona. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to be. Um, I'm trying to be logical here right now, Chris. So I can't. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get on too much of a soapbox here, and then eat my own shoe uh, within like the span of 24 hours. So. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the pace is like between IMSA's, uh, you know, the Porsche, uh, IMSA and WC Porsches. Well, it doesn't matter because it's a GTE and GT3. Yeah, GT3 Never and mind. GTE. Soon, though. Um, Soon we can. Soon. And one last thing before we jump off into GTD, I want to talk about Jordan Taylor. Uh, congratulations to Jordan Taylor. He is going to be in the nine car for the NASCAR Cup Series at the Circuit of the Americas race, and for those not well-versed in the NASCAR world, that's actually quite a big deal because that car is home to NASCAR Cup Series champion Chase Elliott, which is a you know huge fan base, NAPA sponsorship. That's a top-tier ride in the Cup Series. That's going to be an awesome trip. That's going to be the weekend after Sebring Sunday, um, either on Fox or Fox Sports 1 or, you know, your that's local a, broadcaster. Uh, that's a Jeff Gordon partially owned uh, team too. So Rodney did. Right, yeah. Uh, Rodney Sandstorm is going to be uh, pretty pretty excited about the opportunity for sure. And and uh, the good news is is that I know NASCARs have stages, <laughs> which not a lot of people approve of. There won't be any caution breaks between the stages for the road courses. So if you watch that race, they'll just be. Uh, a regular regular race with no stage breaks for I think I can speak for the majority of NASCAR fans. We can finally breathe in and breathe out and say finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also included that grid is going to be Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Jensen Button. You know, no big deal. Just a couple of two mediocre names. Yeah, not, road, road ringers. Ringers, yeah. Yeah, not, not, nothing too important. So that'll be a week after Sebring, after a huge weekend of sports car action. I think. Some stock cars around Circuit of the Americas would be a nice change of pace. So that'd be interesting to watch. Anyway, GT Daytona, the, the biggest grid of the four classes. First, we start off with... Report, uh, we got the black of a couple of, like, of Porsches here. MDK Motorsport has pulled out of the championship. That was one team from Sebring. They were in the GT Daytona class, but they got bumped up GTD Pro last second. 
I believe they're probably going to be in GTD. And in, in all honesty, if they were going to do Sebring, they pulled out because of the BOP fiasco. That's one thing to keep note of. So it's probably one less entry that we would have had. It's, it's still a great grid. I just wanted to point that fact out there. Then the number 16 car, Wright Motorsports, that's the Ryan Hardwick, Jan Haley, and Zachary Robichon. They're based, they basically pulled back their racing from full season to just the endurance round. So basically after this round, we won't see them again until Watkins Glen. Uh, which is that blue uh, first fun sponsorship, I believe it's called. Well, in spite of that, it's still a great grid. Uh, anything that caught, catches your eye in the GT Daytona class, Cookie? Um, uh, it's you know it's kind of more of the same to, from what we got from uh, some of the other classes that just kind of have copy paste from Daytona. I mean, I'm I'm looking for um, you know the potentially the Porsches to be better. Um, it's just so hard to see what uh, what the difference between Daytona and Sebring is going to be with them. So I'm almost just wanting to leave them off my like interest list until I just see them on uh, in person next week. So um, obviously, Turner Motorsports. Um, I like. Uh, I'm I'm sort of interested in 96. Uh, 93 is is interesting to me. Um, Inception Racing too. I think they're going to be decently quick. Um, and then I saw someone else there. Aston Martins, um, definitely a huge fan of the Harder Racing Team, uh, number twenty-seven, and uh, Vassar Sullivan too. That uh, number twelve. Um, and for me, it's gonna be the Iron Dames. That's gonna be a uh, what's the right what's the right word I'm looking for. It's going to be a very, very, very high-interest car coming into the weekend. Because they're racing both the Sebring 1000 and the 12-hour. Uh, racing a Porsche GTE and GTM. And then racing here in a Lamborghini GT3 and GTD. But they got two chances here at Sebring. So they'll have some very great, valuable track experience coming into the 12-hour. Which is absolutely fantastic news. Um... Right Motorsports with the Volt Racing entry. That's uh, as of right now, we still know that's full time, and that's going to be the Highlighter Yellow car. Gradient Racing and Racers Edge still representing the Acura NSX. Chetelar is still racing, which if you don't know, that's going to be the Ferrari 296 with the blue base and the bright Highlighter Green, which looks fantastic. Triarci Competizione is still here. They, if you don't know, they came in partway last season in GT World Challenge America from Sebring onwards. And now it looks like they're racing at least full season MEC, which is just fantastic to hear. More cars is always good. AF Corsa in the 21. The Simon Man, Miguel Molina, and Francesco Castellacci. Or or that's, a, that's a CCI, so it's probably spelled Castellacci. I'm, I'm a dumb American. Please forgive me. <laughs> We're going to and receive so many angry European letters. Right. Right. And then you got Paul Miller Racing, who's been here for ages with the number one, Brian Sellers, Madison Snow, and Corey Lewis. Windward Racing is here. Uh, they just announced that they're doing DTM again. Fantastic news for them. And, also, and GT World Challenge Europe. And they're doing double duty with the Michelin Pilot Challenger. So they got a lot on their plate already this year. Russell Ward, Philip Ellison, and Dante. 
And then you got the Forte Racing powered by USRT, which is USRT is US Racetronics. That's going to be another Lamborghini with Misha Goikberg, Laura Spinelli, and Benjamin Heats. A hit, a hitace? That's that's the, the Chileans, I believe. The hitace sounds pronounced. And that's going to be a very bright green. Well, not bright, but kind of like Monster Energy Green, which looks very interesting on the car. Then you got AL Racing, which obviously has that the uh, creator of GitHub, PJ Hat, Seth Prio, and Gunnar Jeanette uh, in that car. Uh, and then you got Kelly Moss with Riley with two Porsches in there as well. I don't know, Cookie. Based on all that, you got 20 cars. Who do you think is going to come on top? Well, um, like I said, I like the 27. Um, and, oof. yeah, I mean, Paul Miller Racing has been very good here. Uh, the BMW platform seems to be pretty solid. Um, still not really sure about the 296s, how they're going to do, and the Porsches. So I'll leave those almost kind of out of it, even though I do like... Um, Sedlar, and I do like some of the Porsches. I, I would definitely look at, you know, following the Iron Dames. They have a shot at winning. They would definitely need things to fall their way for it to work. Um, that 77 is going to be fast, I think, even though it's Porsche. Um, and 93, I think that Acura is going to be pretty quick too. So, yeah, I. I Definitely keep your eyes up for different manufacturers. I think you'll see some strengths come to different ones throughout the race. Um, but Aston's have been pretty strong, so I'll, I'll say the 27. Great. Uh, I w- I'm going to say here, for GTD, I'm going to say the 96. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that. Because I know Bill Oberlin isn't in that car. So that probably made my pick a little bit absurd. But it always seems at the end of these endurance rounds, maybe not for Daytona, but it always seems like Turner Motorsports is just always up there. Like like the like Jaws, you know, the music the music starts and you just hear you see that shark fin, which in this case would be the giant grill on the you know, front of the car, just creeping up closer and closer, you know, as the end of the race progresses. So I think Turner is gonna be up there towards the end. Are they gonna is that pick going to come to fruition? We'll have to just wait and see. Um, anyway, I think that's about that about wraps it up for IMSA. Uh, basically, if the weekend starts like this. Thursday, you got Porsche Cup North America right away in the morning. I think 9 a.m. Eastern. Then you got the Allen J Automotive Network 120 for the Michelin Pilot Challenge. That's going to be on at 1 20 p.m. Eastern time. That's green flag time for two for a two-hour race. And then you got another race of Porsche Carrera Cup around 5.30 Eastern time. So you got three IMSA races on Thursday. Then on Friday, you got the WEC race that starts at noon Eastern. And on Saturday, March 18th, that's going to be the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, which that will start 10.10 a.m from 10 10 p.m eastern time and just a quick mention uh streaming wise p if you live in the states peacock is going to have everything obviously if you live in other parts of the world except for the baltics which you are legally obliged to use the I believe it's via play 
uh, you get Imps of TV live and free. However, if you live in the States, just to avoid confusion, it's either going to be Peacock or waiting until 4.30 p.m. Eastern for USA Network to come in. So it doesn't come on TV until 4.30 p.m. if you live in the States. Uh, my recommendation, I would probably just use IMSA TV, find ways to work around that, uh, because that's the better coverage. So that way you will receive commercial-free racing without any of the headaches of commercials or switching around channels and stuff like that. Anyway, with that being said, any any closing thoughts before we head off, Cookie? Nope. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to... I believe it's my 11th year, something like that, 11th or 12th, uh, attending Sebring. Um, really looking forward to seeing a lot of uh, faces um, that, uh, you know, it's been about a year since I've seen a bunch of them. Um, shout out to Sandy, a uh, member of Turn 10. Um, she got a Sebring Fan of the Year this year. So they announced that about a month before the race. And, uh, they, they usually it's a fan vote kind of thing or um, uh, people uh, within kind of like a Sebring board that, that usually decide it. So um, usually it's a bunch of old farts that get it. So it was cool to see Sandy uh, get that honor and recognition. She's um, she's an awesome um, ambassador of the sport um, and is always kind of outreaching whenever possible, whenever she's at the track in her own unique way. Uh, up in turn 10 scaffolding to engage with you know kids and fans and um, people that definitely look like they could you know uh, get awestruck by this and she usually finds them and brings them up so um, just a good shout out to her and it'll be good good to hang out with the guys there at turn 10 and um, all the rest of our crew here with uh, rwc and imsa racing we'll have a lot of uh, interesting stuff at the campsite um we'll have a few uh People internationally, I believe, uh, will be joining us, so that'll be cool. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to that. We will have a um, uh, walk through the paddock again, kind of like we did in Daytona. Um, it'll be probably me and Indecisive Rock. We'll do that again, um, where we just kind of stroll through the paddock, uh, both WC and IMSA, um, make any little comments we need to make <laughs> if we feel they're appropriate about any of the teams so far, what we saw at the prologue. So we'll try to get that up. Um, before Friday. And uh, yeah, so just be on the lookout for a little bit more podcast stuff. But otherwise, we'll. Uh, this is kind of the, the weirdly busy start to the to the year, and then it kind of settles into a groove after Sebring. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this year's uh, Super Sebring event. And uh, hope everybody here listening can uh, to can tune in. It'll be a great, great event. Hey, and for those who are busy on this particular weekend, uh, replay is. Uh, we understand that people can't be right watching sports car racing 100% of the time. Impossible. Uh, WEC replay, if you have the streaming service, it looks like the replay will be on the streaming service immediately after. Uh, for those that live in North America, Motor Trend, uh, hit or miss, sometimes they don't have the replay immediately after, sometimes they do. Uh, fingers crossed they do for those relying on that. Uh, for IMSA, if you have Peacock, the replays, the American coverage, uh, those will immediately have replays a couple hours, at least a couple hours after the fact. Uh, any anywhere else, you're probably going to have to wait till Thursday until they upload the race in its entirety on the YouTube channel. Uh, with that being said, this has been Chris Washer ninety seven and Cookie Monster FL uh, previewing the Sebring weekend for WEC 
and the IMSA Sports Car Championship. Next episode, we're going to review what happened at this wonderful Florida airbase and then talk about uh, Portimao, WEC, and possibly some ELMS news. Yes. And that comes creeping closer as well. Uh, as for this has been the episode of Endurance Chat for Sebring. Yeah, have a wonderful night and enjoy some Sebring action. Good night, everyone. Gazoo! Let's go. Gotta take out some Ferraris and some Peugeots and some Porsches. Let's do this.